Welcome to MedSider.com, where you can learn from a mix of experienced medical device mentors through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. We all know relationships matter. They matter at work, they matter at home, but are relationships important when it comes to getting medical devices approved through the FDA? Beyond relationships, what else matters when it comes to improving the medical device regulatory process? In this interview with Sheila Hamian-Hire, president of Hire Regulatory Solutions, we learn where medical device companies are missing the mark when it comes to the FDA approval process. Okay, so who is Sheila Hamian-Hire? Prior to starting Hire Regulatory Solutions, Sheila's most recent position was the VP of Global Regulatory Affairs for Boston Scientific. This is what we're going to learn in this interview with Sheila. The three most important steps you can take right now to get your medical device approved faster. Quality submissions and solid relationships. The importance of honing these two concepts in order to enhance your medical device regulatory approval process. What characteristics do great medical device regulatory professionals all have in common? And how can the FDA and industry work together to improve the regulatory process for medical devices? Of course, there's much more to glean from this interview. But before we dig into the interview with Sheila, you need to listen to these brief messages from our sponsors. And by the way, if you're interested in becoming a MedSider sponsor, our 2012 sponsorships are now open. Go to MedSider.com forward slash sponsor. Again, that's MedSider.com forward slash sponsor. Now listen up. First, did you know that venture capitalists are extremely hesitant to fund a startup medical device company with a direct sales force? Yes, you heard that right. You see, VCs think direct sales forces add too much bloat to medical device companies. That's why you need to check out Covast.com. They have a lean sales model that is garnering some big attention within the medical device world. Interested? Check out Covast.com. That's C-O-V as in Victor, A-S-C.com. Second, if you're listening to this, you're probably on LinkedIn. Would you like to know how to land your next gig using LinkedIn? How about connections? Would you like to learn how to connect with key decision makers? Perhaps you might want to know how to leverage LinkedIn in order to gain maximum exposure. Go to MedSider.com slash LinkedIn. It's our first course in collaboration with Lewis Howes, who's written two books on how to effectively use LinkedIn. Go check it out. MedSider.com slash LinkedIn. Now here's your program. Hello everyone, it's Scott Nelson and welcome to MedSider, home of the free personal medical device MBA. And on today's call, we have Sheila Hemian Hire, uh, or Sheila Hire, um, who is the president of Hire Regulatory Solutions. Uh, she was most previously, before she started Hire Regulatory Solutions, she was most previously the vice president of global, regulata global regulatory affairs with Boston Scientific. So, without further ado, welcome to the call, Sheila. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me on. So, let's start with. Uh, uh, a little bit of uh, background about what you're currently doing now um, with your company, Higher Regulatory Solutions. Oh, sure. Thanks. Well, I started this company uh, just about a year ago, and my goal is to bring my experience in regulatory affairs um, to the companies out there that really are in need of some um, good regulatory strategy, solid um, help with submissions, with the pre-market and post-market compliance side of things, 
And really, I just love working with a wide variety of clients and helping them to solve their regulatory problems. Very good. That, that, that's a nice, nice uh, overview. Do you now you work specifically with medical device companies? That's correct. Okay. And is there a certain certain type of uh, of company demographic in regards to size, where they're at in in, in terms of you know the regulatory process? Um, no, not really. Um, like I said, I love the variety. I love working with companies at all stages. So um, you know the the startups that are really. Um, really exciting. They're you know getting their product going. They're really um, starting to weave their way through the the regulatory um, morass. It can and sometimes seem like a you know a, a maze that you're in and just don't know how to get out of. And so it's really exciting to help those companies to position their product in the best possible light to really understand the regulatory requirements and, and help them through that process to uh, to successfully putting sometimes their first product on the market. That that's really exciting. And you know, and then you have larger, more established companies that sometimes just um, are in a period. They may have their own regulatory and compliance staff, but uh, for some reason, they they need to bring in some outside help, either because of uh, they you know they have so much to do, they need some extra hands, or um, they need um, a, a you know fresh eye on their product to help them with a new strategy, or in in in. Actually, many cases nowadays, they um, have encountered some problems with FDA, uh, primarily with FDA, um, on the compliance side of things and need some uh, folks to come in and help them solve their problems. So um, I really work with a, a wide variety of companies and a wide variety of technologies. I think my background is general enough that uh, I, I can take pretty much any type of device and um, help the company figure out what's the best pathway to market. Okay. And do you work with any, um, are you are you biased towards a particular specialty within the device space, whether it's cardiovascular or orthopedic or, um, you know, et cetera, or do you kind of work with all, all different all different yeah. uh, realms? Again, no, I, do, I don't uh, limit myself to a particular specialty. Um, my background, I've been in this business for over 25 years now, and spent 15 years of that um, as a consultant um, with a Medical Device Consultants, Inc., and again, you know, there got a, a wide variety of experience. Um, at Boston Scientific, uh, the last six years, of course, that Boston Scientific is primarily a cardiovascular company, but they also have um, a large um, neuromodulation group, they have that endosurgery group, uh, so even there, um, again, a wide variety of experience, so I don't really feel like I, I want to limit myself to any particular specialty. Um, too many exciting new technologies out there. Okay, yeah, very good. And that that, um, that actually provides a nice little segue into your background, and I, I don't want to spend too much time kind of digging into the the uh, uh, the, the smaller details, um, but bottom line is you, you spent, in essence, almost your whole career within the medical device uh, kind of regulatory niche. And um, can you can you just kind of go back a little bit um, and provide a, an overview into your background, um, leading leading back to like kind of when you know your you know your your undergrad and then kind of the steps the steps along the way. Sure, no problem. So uh, my undergraduate degree was in biomedical engineering, um, and then I also got a master's degree in biomechanics. And when I had finished my master's degree, I found myself in Washington D.C. Um, and was really fortunate to find out that the FDA had an open hiring window. And, um, you know, the government from time to time will uh, give FDA the ability to hire a certain number of 
of folks, and, and I just you know hit the at the right time and uh, was hired to work in the Office of Device Evaluation as a scientific reviewer. So that was my first entry into the the world of FDA, and you know really started um, from scratch. I, I I really didn't know what FDA did with respect to medical devices, so it was a great education. I was in uh, working with orthopedic and restorative devices and also surgical lasers. So, um, you know, learned all about uh, the FDA regulations. Uh, I had actually done some clinical study work uh, prior to joining FDA, so I was able to, uh, you know, review clinical studies, IDEs, 510Ks, PMAs. Um, so it was a great education, and uh, I, I loved working for the FDA. Um, my personal situation changed, and we ended up um, leaving the D.C. area, and that's when I uh, started working for uh, MDCI and uh, worked as a consultant for, for many years. And then along the way, I decided I wanted to go back to school <laughs> and uh, <laughs> didn't have enough to do. Um, but So I went to law school. I really looked at you know what would be the best pathway for me, and I, I loved combining my engineering and science uh, background with um, with the law because that's essentially what I was doing anyway. That you know you're interpreting law and regulation and applying those laws and regulations uh, to the science. So the law degree was uh, just seemed to fit perfectly, and it did. It helped me a lot. It helped me in terms of um, my analytical thinking skills, my writing skills, um, being able to look at two sides of a situation and be able to anticipate. Uh, you know, questions and holes in your arguments, and that's a lot of what we do in regulatory. We, um, you know, have to know this, have the, the science background is, is very important uh, to a good regulatory professional because you have to understand the technology, but also being able to present the, the, the product to an audience, you know, who may not be, to, and I'm talking about the, the reviewers, mm-hmm. who may not be, um, into, may have some understanding, of course, of the technology because, uh, you know, you're presenting it to the reviewer within a particular, um, you know, medical specialty, medical area, but they may not know anything about your device. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be able to clearly present that information. You have to be able to make sure that you're complying with the regulations and the expectations of, of the reviewers. Um, you have to anticipate what type of questions the reviewer might ask, what type of risks there may be within your um, submission. And so I bring the, the law degree and that experience really um, helps uh, me to best be able to formulate that submission and, um, you, know, you know, comply with the regulations. So sure. um, anyway, I, I did that along the way and, um, and then was very fortunate to be able to join Boston Scientific, which um, is, you know, a, a great medical device company with, uh, you know, Global, I uh, got a lot more experience in terms of global submissions. Um, I was able to head up a wonderful group of regulatory affairs professionals, and um, not only in the U.S. again, but all over the world. So uh, that was a, a phenomenal experience for me. Uh, very good, and thanks for providing that that background. So, to kind of in, in summary, um, right after you know your undergrad, you spent some time with the FDA as a reviewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent about 15 years, roughly. With uh, with medical device consultants Inc. Um, got your law degree along the way. <laughs> I like how you put it um, in that you uh, 
uh, you didn't, uh, you, t t time wasn't uh, an issue along the way, so you decided to go ahead and get your law degree. That's great. Um, and well, then I also, continued to work. I, I, I yeah. did that part-time. Right. I continued to work um, in the regulatory field. So. <laughs> right. Um, and then, and then uh, most previous, you know, prior to starting High Regulatory Solutions, which is your own company, you were with uh, Boston Scientific for, for about five years as the Vice President of Global Regulatory Affairs. So needless to say, you're well-versed in the medical, medical device regulatory arena. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great field to be in. It's constantly presenting challenges. Yeah, no doubt. And so I, when you were explaining the, the benefits that your law degree has um, within your own career, we, the, the, the re, your regulatory colleagues that you've worked with over the years, some of the better ones that you've worked with, do they have a, a law degree as well? Or what, what stands out to you, or what, you know, in terms of like characteristics and background that um, you know, when you look at some of your colleagues that you've worked with along the way, um, you know, in, in terms of making, you know, making, making someone really good within the regulatory space? Mm -hmm. I, you know, there are certainly are some regulatory professionals that have law degrees. Um, I, not many. I haven't really met too many others. Um, and and ba probably because it's not a, a career that you have to have a law degree to mm -hmm. practice in, uh, as compared to, for example, patent law, which I find to be very similar in terms of what a patent lawyer does. Um, you know, they represent a client to a government agency. They write patent applications, and and ironically, you do have to have a law degree um, to to practice in that space. You don't in the in the food and drug law space. Um, now there are a lot of law firms now that have food and drug lawyers who do a lot of what I do. Mm. Um, but but anyway, you don't have to have a law degree to be a regulatory professional. So there, there probably aren't, aren't that many. But what? Um, you asked a great question about what makes a good regulatory professional. And, uh, you know, I used to say when I was at Boston Scientific and if we were hiring into um, a, a position, particularly an entry-level position, what I would look for first and foremost would be, um, you know, a, a science background. I, I do think it's important for a regulatory professional to have a, a science or engineering background so that they can talk with the folks they're working with, the R&D folks, the manufacturing folks. Yeah. Um, but beyond that... Good writing and analytical skills are key. You have to be able to communicate clearly um, in, in written word, uh, first and foremost, but then also verbally as well, because a lot of what you do is interacting with the regulators on the phone, in meetings. Um, so that's what I would look for. And then, you know, I could teach someone the regulations. Um, I didn't always need to have someone to come in, you know, already knowing the regulations. That you can teach someone, but good analytical, good writing skills, good verbal communication skills are, are really key. Okay. And so mm -hmm. let, that, that, that provides a nice little segue into, um, into really the, the regulatory uh, environment. There's so much buzz, um, and I'm sure you would agree, and we talked a little bit about this in our pre-interview, there's so much buzz going on about you know, the 510K submission process, the medical device user fees, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost endless, the amount of... of, of headlines that I read on a daily basis that pertain to the regulatory environment. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask you to, to, to make maybe a general comment about that, and then maybe we'll get into some, some specifics. Sure. Well, I mean, of course, 510K is, has certainly been in the news, and um, we could talk quite a bit about yeah. that. I think, you know, what's happening there, of course, is that as we advance, and, and every you know new technology coming out um, all over the place, and it's wonderful technology for patients. We're trying to figure out how how these fit into the current regulatory paradigm in in the U.S. You know, and we have these two pathways: we have 510K and we have PMA. 
Um, and, you know, traditionally 510K has been thought to be the, the, the quicker pathway because it's for, essentially was designed to be for, quote, Me Too devices. Um, but a lot of these, quote, Me Too devices now are, you know, have new new materials, mm-hmm. new, um, you know, methods of operation and so forth and so on. So even though they may fit within a 510K classification, um, you know, they they may raise the, the, the new technology may raise you know very new questions and so FDA has been asking for more and more data under a 510k so many times a 510k now looks very much like a class three PMA um, but you know and, and companies have have, have struggled with that um, but it, you know it, it's understandable the, the FDA their charge is to protect patient health, to protect the public health, and um, they struggle. They are scientists. You know, the, the folks at FDA are bright folks. They, they take their job very seriously, and so, um, and they don't, again, they don't always understand a, a device, and so the, the companies need to work together very closely with FDA to understand, you know, why FDA is asking for more data. Um, and to really provide work with FDA to get their products to market. So now, you know, getting back to the buzz about 510K, uh-huh. you know, getting a lot of criticism about the process, it's taking a lot longer. And so FDA has proposed um, several uh, changes they'd like to make to improve the process. Many of those were acceptable to industry. Better training, for example, um, better guidance, um, clarification of different terms. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, if industry works together with FDA, we can come out with a, a better process. Now, interestingly, the Institute of Medicine um, did do their own evaluation of the 510K process, and their recommendation was basically to scrap the 510K and start over, um, come up with a new paradigm for lower-risk products. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not received well by FDA or by industry feeling as I think that that was just too drastic at this time when FDA is strapped for resources, when they've spent so much time trying to fix the process. I, I don't think the, the recommendation to start over was received very well. So um, we're not sure how this is all going to come out. Um, the IOM issued their report uh, over the summer, and FDA is still digesting it, still working um, to, you know, to propose what, what they want to do on the 510K. Sure. So I think, you know, on that, on that issue, we, we do need to stay tuned. And um, like I said, I think if, if industry works, and FDA are willing to work together, uh, we can come up with a, a really good process. Right. And, and so, so in essence, you've got, you've got, you know, on the FDA side, as you mentioned before, they're, they're obviously um, acting in the best interest of the patient, which is completely understandable. And I think industry would agree in that a lot of their messaging is, you know, event, ultimately we want to develop new technologies for the patients, right? And so you have mm-hmm. two different sides. But the problem on the industry side is, is you know, the, the submissions are getting longer. It's taking longer mm-hmm. to, to, to get an approval. Um, you know, certain devices have been approved in the EU and have had a CE mark for years and years um, before they're ever even, you know, approved in the U.S. Um, a lot of com- a lot of you know companies are beginning to seek approval OUS and even go yeah. IPO OUS before they even, you know, uh, because of the, you know, and it all stems back, you know, from a regulatory standpoint. So, can these, yeah. other than communication, 
you know, enhanced communication or working together, is there, is there certain things that really stand out to you that, you know, would be really valuable um, for the FDA to maybe do and then also industry sure. to, to do in order to kind of try to make this work? Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.